Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live. Uh, every, we come to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news editor Patrick Casty, and I'm with Kristen Young. Uh, Kristen covers the towns of Dennis, Yarmouth, uh, and Yarmouth, which includes, of course, their shared re- uh, regional school district. Uh, you said yesterday you feel like you've been writing about that a lot lately. And a lot of news coming out of yeah, Exactly. That's where the news is. We're certainly going to talk about that uh, as the announcement that there will be a recount of a controversial school building vote is one of several big stories this week, including uh, a story you have in today's paper. Um, another big story is the release of a report about problems at the Woods Hole, Martha's Vineyard, and Nantucket Steamship Authority. Um, and we'll also talk about a report about a local Head Start program that has seen uh, its own problems lately, um, as well as concerns and praise for a needle exchange program planned in Falmouth. We'll then take a quick look ahead at a story about seven, uh, count them, seven pot shops planned for the town of Provincetown. You can take a look back at uh, all of our episodes and follow along at home, Live, or go to our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social, other social media accounts. Um, let's start with this needle exchange in Falmouth. It's not the first of its kind, um, but whenever one of these is proposed, it seems to, to cause a, a bit of a stir. Yeah, so the plans are to locate a needle exchange program in a small commercial building in East Falmouth, and it seems to have taken neighbors by surprise. So Selectman decided to um, give time for a presentation by the AIDS support group of Cape Cod at the Selectman's meeting on Monday. Um, the Their support group has leased space at a commercial building on East Falmouth Highway across the street from St. Anthony's Church. Um, services at the program would include screening for hepatitis, HIV, and other sexually transmitted diseases. And the program would also provide the overdose reversal drug Narcan and would collect used syringes and provide new ones for people who inject drugs. Um, our reporter, Tanner Senning, who attended the meeting, described the atmosphere there as contentious. He said that the presentation by the support group was um, sort of briefly derailed by people who were attempting to speak without being recognized by the board, and that neighbors were concerned by the fact that they hadn't been notified by the Board of Health that the program was about to go through. Um, he said that the Board of Health Chairwoman, Diana Malloy, said the board had previously supported the program, and she said that it's going to help prevent infection and that it will also stop uh, sort of the problem of dirty needles being strown around public areas because it will attempt to collect those needles instead. Um, Dan Gates, who's the aid support group, group's chief operating manager said that the group actually takes in 20 percent more needles than it gives out and the state actually requires a one-to-one needle trade so that every time someone's bringing in a dirty needle um, you know or or wants to get a new used needle they have to turn in a dirty one first Um, and that helps them to of course be disposed of safely and properly Um, other aid support group staff clarified that this is not going to be what you sort of heard about some of these elsewhere a so-called safe injection site 
site, and those sites offer drug users um, a place to inject drugs under the street. Yes, drugs, yeah. yeah, and that's not what's happening mm -hmm. here. Um, so they wanted to kind of clear that up right up front. Mm -hmm. But neighbors still seem to be concerned. There was a letter to selectmen from a Boy Scout troopmaster um, who expressed concerns that the church across the street is already seeing problems with hypodermic needles being Stop sort of disposed of on their property, and that the church is used quite a bit by um, children, and that it really needs to be safe uh, for the kids who are using that property. Um, also, the pastor at St. Anthony's said he doesn't support the program being located so close to the church, although there were a few residents uh, in letters that did express support for the program. And Selectman clarified at the meeting that that wasn't really a place where they had any opportunity to, to take any action. The meeting was really more for the purpose of public information and for giving residents a chance to air their concerns, but Selectman weren't really voting on anything um, at the time. Uh, the president of the aid support group said that he expects the operation to be up and running by mid-January, um, and he said he's been a little disappointed by what he described as a rush to judgment by some residents. Uh, it's not the first time, though, that this group has faced opposition. They do have a similar program up and running on South Street in Hyannis. Just that, down the road. Yeah, just down the road from us. And I guess that also faced some opposition when it opened in 2009. It definitely did. That went all the way to the Supreme Judicial Court mm -hmm. because the town uh, kind of stepped in and challenged uh, the operation there and, and, again, took it all the way to the highest court in the state, which found that needle access and distribution centers operated by private social services are legal without restriction, basically, under state law. There was a lot of back and forth there. But, again, the big thing here seemed to be uh, what the local neighbors and, and neighbors thought was a lack of notice. They kind of thought they were blindsided by this. Um, you can imagine this group having gone all the way to the highest court and kind of, uh, you know, legally won in that case uh, might think that they shouldn't have any any problem going forward there's also of course a, a great amount of sentiment out there for uh, trying to make uh, things as safe as possible for uh, people who are addicted to drugs and, and suffering from addiction and I don't know that any of these neighbors have a problem with that again their their primary concern it seems to be is the location is it the right location which in a lot of these cases come is what it seems to come down to so sure. we'll see uh, where it goes uh, from here but it sounds like if the neighbors want to stop it they may have to go back and, and fight it and come up with a novel way to fight it because if you come to it with the same arguments that have already played out in court you can't really go much higher than the the SJC at least in the in the state um, uh, and then we have another uh, a series of reports actually that came out this week um, one of the big ones was uh, uh, the Cape Cod Child Development Head Start uh, preschool programs um, here on the Cape which are a big deal and, and they they pointed out the officials who spoke to reporter Cindy McCormick pointed out that this was a program that serves a lot of kids who really need it and it's really important to keep going and this report didn't just come out it came out in actually October from the US Administration for Children's and Families and it really found a lot of concern and problems with the program including them overshooting their Head Start budget uh, racking up credit card debt um, and then, you know, a lot of turnover and a lot of vacancies, um, but also essentially what they describe as, as young children, um, it sounded like hitting each other, biting each other, biting staff members, and kind of this out-of-control atmosphere that they, they described. 
Uh, again, Cindy spoke with a, a number of board members the other day and, and uh, staff, uh, a, I think an interim executive director, um, and they said, uh, Paul Nitzwicki, he's actually the former head of the Cape Cod Commission. He's now the executive director of the Southfield Redevelopment Authority. He was appointed to the child, uh, Cape Cod Child Development's board of directors in October, so about the same time this report came out. Um, and he, his quote was, the report was awful to read. So yeah. that tells you how much of a, of a problem it is. And, and especially here on the Cape where, again, child care is so you know difficult to come by and quality child care is so difficult to come by um, to have something that people look to and rely on. They have 10 locations on Cape Cod. Not a small program. No, 295 children they said they serve. Um, And so, again, there are some concerns about how the finances have been handled. There are concerns about how um, training has been handled and whether these people were prepared uh, to to really be dealing with um, what they were looking at. Um, the uh, executive director, um, former executive director, um, was replaced in August um, uh, by the new interim director, and, and she was on the on the phone call with Cindy and talking about the changes that have been made and things that they're trying to do. They have kind of a deadline. They're, they, uh, I think, we're told they had. Uh, 60 days uh, from the time uh, they received the report uh, on November 1st mm-hmm. to correct deficiencies. Um, so that's looking at January 10th coming up as far as a deadline. What are some of the things that they need to, to get done by that time? Absolutely. I, I think they were looking um, at, you know, basically filling some of the vacancies. They had to uh, figure out, uh, again, the finances and get those in order. That was a that was a big deal. They uh, the, the numbers here are pretty astounding. They have a $13 million budget. The Head Start program uh, accounts for $3 million of that. There's, they do do other programs. Um, but in terms of the, the finances that they have to kind of figure out, um, they had an unsecured line of credit for $650,000, a Chase Bank credit card with a balance of $57,000, and past due accounts payable of nearly $300,000. That seems like a lot of money for anybody, um, much less a kind of a program that probably was running on a, a shoestring mm-hmm. compared to what it needed. Um, so they, the, the federal investigators had requested a summary of the drawdowns for grants for 2017 and 2018, and the comptroller couldn't even provide part of them for 2017. So they have to, to deal with a, a lot of that sort of thing. Um, and, and certainly training seems like it's a big one. Uh, they uh, said, there's a quote from the report, teachers and center managers at six or seven sites visited stated children and staff were bitten and hit weekly by children whose behaviors were out of control. Children, you know, are children, and, and these things certainly do happen. I think what this report points to and what these investigators are saying was the, the, the amount of it that was happening and the consistency with which it was happening uh, was really kind of uh, monumental in terms of, of how much was going on. So, again, uh, the, the folks on the board, uh, some new folks, there's been uh, some turnover and, and some new folks on the board, and uh, the, the interim executive director say they're, they're really kind of looking at all of this and obviously trying to, to fix some things. They've already hired a nurse, nutritionist, a full-time facilities manager, replaced torn sleeping mats. Um, th- these were things that were actually cited as hygiene yeah. uh, problems. So uh, a lot of that is what the investigators are hoping that they address. And then they have 120 uh, days to correct several areas in which it was found non-compliant, which seems like a lower level uh, mm-hmm. sort of thing, including the failure to ensure nurturing teaching practices that foster emotional security among the preschoolers sounds pretty important but i guess first you got to get the hygiene in order and you got to get the the biting and that sort of thing stopped and then you can start to talk about the emotional uh nurturing uh practices which again is probably what they were hoping it all feeds in together right? exactly so so we'll see where that goes but that was certainly a, a big deal at the time 
And then I don't know if you got a chance to read the Steamship Authority report, Kristen, but I spent some time with it because I'm a geek about these things, I suppose. <laughs> I, well, I didn't read the report, but I did read our reporter's story on yeah. the report. So it, it sounds like they found some some uh, quite interesting things there. Absolutely. They were going back to the spring. And and as you know, and our, our watchers will know, there were a lot of problems in the spring uh, with the Steamship Authority. They had boats that ran aground. They had boats that had just kind of had blackouts on the water where the, the power went off. Uh, they had problems with their website. And all these added up to things that, that riders, the ridership really became upset about. And this is known, the Steamship Authority is known as the lifeline to the islands. Um, they are responsible for making sure that uh, ferry service is available to the islands. They, there's also Highline, but they're a separate organization. But the Steamship Authority as the name you know, tells you, is the authority in terms of making sure that ferries run back and forth to the islands on time, on budget. And that was one of the things that this report pointed out was that Steamship Authority, very good at you know their budget, very good at being frugal. Almost to a fault, though, right? To, exactly, to a fault. And that was what the report really kind of pointed out in several respects, which is that this organization, I think for you know, the past 40, 50 years, has been operating without... <laughs> Uh, kind of raising taxes on its host communities and and without uh, you know uh, having going getting outside of its budget more than I think four times, um, which is pretty incredible for an agency, but that has led to these uh, kind of lack of procedures has led to a lack of planning uh, looking forward, and all of that has added up to to these series of problems basically has not led directly maybe, but you can see kind of the pattern of, of being that frugal and, and the uh, folks who did this report, HMS Consulting, um, pointed to that and said, you know, you got to spend some money. Uh, and, and they're looking at, they suggested basically it's going to cost maybe a million dollars to start with and then a million dollars in the operating budget every year to address some of these deficiencies. But there were some pretty astounding, um, uh, you know, phrasing in this report. They actually pointed to a capsizing of a ferry off Belgium in uh, 1987, in which 193 people died, not the Steamship Authority, not their their ferry. But they said after that, maritime organizations uh, really started to implement what they called process-based management. Um, and they had said that it, with that capsizing, it was a disease of sloppiness on the part of that vessel's management that led to that. This assessment was centered on the company's lack of this process-based management. Since that incident, the industry has evolved significantly, but evidence suggests that the Steamship Authority here, our Steamship Authority, has not. So they were really pointing to that and saying that the Steamship Authority really needs to deal with this. Um, one of the other interesting things that jumped at me right in the beginning of the report was uh, a quote that said, unfortunately, the public perception is perhaps ill-informed and not properly managed about how good the organization is at, again, being within budget mm -hmm. and doing what they do. That struck me because I, I, my thought is like, I don't ride the ferries often, but I know the people who do really rely on them. I don't think they care about perception. I think what they care about is the ferries running on mm -hmm. time. They care about safety. They care about the website working when they go to make a reservation. So whether or not their perception is ill-informed or not, the Steamship Authority has to deal with the outcome, which has again, been these big problems, delays, Boat cancellations, hundreds and hundreds of cancellations. These affect more than just tourists trying to get to the island, right? It's Absolutely. I mean, businesses and and people who are trying to you know work on the island and need to get their supplies there. Uh, it really is a big issue. Yeah, there are freight boats. There's you know construction workers who go back and forth to the island. I mean, they're they're 
people who go to the island, work for the day, and then come back mm-hmm. on construction, especially uh, actually during the winter and, and the spring as they're getting ready for the summer season, um, there's a lot of work that goes on. So the HMS had a, a series of recommendations. Steamship Authority officials did react at a meeting on uh, Tuesday uh, to this report, um, and they essentially said, listen, we, we understand they hired HMS consulting to do this, by the way. Um, and they said, listen, we, we understand what you're pointing to. We understand the deficiencies that you're saying uh, exist, and we understand we need to deal with this. Uh, we, they did kind of draw the line at this idea that they were so frugal that it had affected, you know, things. And they did, uh, didn't quite agree with everything within the report. But they did uh, essentially acquiesce to the fact that they needed to do something. I think they they were they kind of pointed to, and there's some quotes within the report about these kind of being one-off or kind of anomalies. The report specifically said these aren't anomalies. If you continue to go down this road, you're going to continue to see these things happen. So, and they said ultimately, though, that it's going to be the ticket purchasers who are going to end up paying a lot of the price for for these improvements that need to be made. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Now, again, you could argue, well, you've been frugal. Uh, And they do have big projects going on. They have a Woods Hole terminal replacement project going on. Um, You've been frugal. There seems like they have this budget. It seems like there should be money there. But obviously, the ticket holders, uh, eventually, whenever you are working on things, will probably be the ones who end up paying for it. Um, I don't think they'd necessarily... Uh, be as worried about uh, increases in rates if everything was running perfectly smoothly, but we'll see. Um, You have been reporting, again, uh, quite a bit on Dennis Yarmouth uh, Regional School District. These are two towns that have not had seen eye to eye, really, over the last Mm -hmm. decade or more. Um, what's the latest, uh, and you have some reporting in today's paper about what's next. Sure. Well, I think the biggest news that's come out um, sort of this week is that a recount will happen um, in the election that approved the $117 million middle school that's being planned on Station Avenue. The vote um, was on December 4th, and it was a district-wide vote instead of having each town vote separately. The, the votes were counted collectively, and it was approved by just 32 votes. That's close. Um, so uh, originally there were some thoughts that maybe this would go to a recount, but the actual recount petitions came in just before the deadline, which was yeah last Friday. I spoke with um, Dennis Town Clerk Terry Bunce, who said that the the petition request in Dennis came into her office just before an hour before the Friday 5 p.m. deadline, um, and since then the petition have the petitions have been certified by both town clerk's offices that means a recount will go ahead and go forward um it's not going to be until i think the first full week of january according to both town clerks the board of registrars still has to certify the time and place um for the count and that's supposed to happen today in both towns in terms of specifying where and when that count will happen um but also, people um, or the, the town clerks have said that they really don't believe this will overturn the overall election results. Um, the ballots were, ca- were um, cast, they, they didn't have any write-in spots. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what can happen when, when you know, you're trying to look at what happens with an election. And if it's, it's not clear that the results were accurate, it's because of those write-in right, spots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, these were all just clear, um, you know, fill in the oval choices. Um, and there were five blank ballots cast in Dennis. And mm-hmm. even if those were counted as no votes, it wouldn't still fall short. Oh, yeah, it would still fall short of overturning the election. And again, it's not like anything else was being voted on at this election. This was 
this mm-hmm. was it, right? I mean, it, there was a separate election taking place at the same time. Now, that did cause some confusion yep. that people were worried about. So there were two ballots because there was the district-wide election to approve the school, and then each town had its own election that approved a debt exclusion or sought to approve a debt exclusion. Yarmouth rejected the debt exclusion. Dennis approved it. But because there were two ballots, um, some people, especially in Dennis, were trying to feed both of those ballots into the so ballot good. counting machines at the same time. That was causing some jams. Um, at one point, they actually had to replace that ballot machine with another one. And Terry Bunce said she could understand why people would want to recount right, after yeah. seeing something like that happen during the election. She said that the town was very careful, you know, while the machines were being swapped out, things were locked down, you know, ballots. Whenever there was a problem with the machines, they were locked in a, a specific um, sort of uh, auxiliary part of the machine that, yep. that made sure that n- there could be no tampering with and that. And that they were put in in the order they were received. And Terry Bunce of all town clerks, she's a very organized yes. person and you can imagine that she, she was on top of this. But again, even she says, I can I can see why people might be concerned yep. and, and she's going to do her job, it sounds like, in terms of the recount. And so there will be some cost with the recount. I think in Dennis they estimated it will cost around $2,000. Yarmouth will be more like four to $5,000 um, just for legal fees. Kind of part of the issue with the school district is the cost. Yeah, and some of the reasons I spoke with the woman who organized the recount, she's actually a Yarmouth resident, and she used to be on the DY school committee, actually, back in the 90s and the early 2000s. And she said the reason she decided to organize the recount was because she was worried that this these tax increases caused by the school would decrease the likelihood that taxpayers would also support the school operating budget, which for the past couple of years and even before that has triggered the need for overrides in Yarmouth mm-hmm. just to support operating costs. They seem to continue to keep going up and up despite the fact that no new services are being added. Um, healthcare costs have a lot to do with that. Uh, but she's worried that if, you know, if taxpayers are already burdened by this new school, that they're not also going to support operating costs. And that's really what's important to the district, she and says. And that came up again at the Monday Selectman's meeting this week in Yarmouth, right? Yes. So um, that came up at the Selectman's meeting. It also came up at the school committee meeting. School committee members, um, they didn't take an official vote, but uh, administrators had approached the school committee and said, you know, we, given all this sort of angst around the election and the fact that the recount is happening, we wanted some direction on whether to keep moving with this school while the recount's happening. And, and, and again, just to go back, it's a regional middle school they're talking about to replace uh, um, Manakee's Middle School in Yarmouth and Nathaniel uh, Wixon in uh, Dennis. Um, it's $117 million we're talking about. $44, $45 million of that would come from the state, and the rest would be divided between Dennis and Yarmouth, the larger portion with Yarmouth because it's based on enrollment. And again, that goes to the regional yes, agreement. Yeah, yeah, something that Yarmouth's had, you know, has been a point of contention mm-hmm. is how much the towns are paying for the school. Yarmouth claims that, that it's unfair to Yarmouth. Dennis kind of doesn't want to voluntarily raise their costs too high. Mm-hmm. So it's created this, this situation of sort of neither town wanting to budge. Um, but the school committee did give direction to administrators to keep moving forward with architectural work. Um, and that's because largely um, Superintendent Carol Woodbury said that any delays in the start date of the architectural work could trigger a day per day delay in the Mm -hmm. completion date of the school and that's according to an agreement with the architect Um, and right now the school is on track to open by September 2021 she doesn't want to take the risk and other school officials don't want to take the risk that delaying the start would then delay it for an entire semester of getting kids in there Um, but as you mentioned um, there was you know some concern over whether raising taxes for the school would also 
sort of decreased taxpayers' appetite to fund the operating budget. Already low in Yarmouth. Yeah, school yeah. committee uh, member Brian Sullivan, who is a Yarmouth school committee member, expressed concerns about that. He said he was concerned that this was really going to tear the two communities apart permanently and forever, is what he said. He also said he didn't want that, you know, sort of the tearing apart of those communities to be the legacy of this school committee. Um, but, you know, the school committee member said it's important to keep moving ahead. It, the very worst, if the recount somehow does overturn the election results, they can stop the work then for, you know, only having acquired that sort of two weeks worth of work. Um, but all, alternatively, the consequence of delaying the opening of the school would be worse. And I don't I don't know that he has to worry about that legacy falling to this particular school committee. This has been going on for years and years, multiple school committees with multiple different people on them, multiple boards of uh, selectmen with multiple different people on them. Uh, but it is interesting, this idea that the new school would tear them apart even further, or maybe permanently, given the fact that one of the other kind of concerns from Yarmouth, uh, before the vote at least, was that the new regional school would actually bind them in a way that they couldn't kind of get out of because if they were worried about the regional agreement and changing that and it didn't go the way they wanted and they were able to somehow get that changed via town meeting, via the district, via the state, um, that this regional school district would make that much more difficult to kind of take the pieces apart because now you have a regional high school and now you have a regional middle mm -hmm. school. It starts to become more difficult on that front. I don't know which is <laughs> Well, the correct. school committees decided they're they're going to step up to the plate. Lander said that she's been speaking with officials from both towns and they, they've reached some tentative agreements on some things. Um, that also seems to have been the situation in the past and an agreement has never really been struck. But the school committee's never really taken such an active role as it seems to be doing now in trying to advance changes no to the regional agreement. Um, they actually also expressed support for requesting uh, a placeholder at each town meeting for an article that would uh, prove amendments to the agreement. Um, Landers said, you know, she feels there's there's uh, a desire on both sides to sort of get that done, and hopefully that could ease some of the tensions between the towns. Um, it, also in Yarmouth, it seemed, as you mentioned, there was this push before the election. The Finance Committee and Selectman had come out and said, you know, sort of expressed ex opinions not to vote in favor of the school. Um, immediately after the election, I spoke with Chairman Norman Holcomb, who said that he wanted to follow through on the will of Yarmouth voters who rejected the school um, by possibly considering deregionalization. That didn't come up at this week's Yarmouth Selectman's meeting. Instead, um, and, and Holcomb was, in fact, absent yeah. from that meeting, um, but Michael Stone and, uh, and Tracy Post, who are both uh, Yarmouth Selectmen, talked about the fact that Yarmouth also didn't approve a debt exclusion that would fund its share of the school. Yeah. It has another chance to do that. If it doesn't do that, its share of the money would have to come out of its operating, operating budget. Yep. And Tracy Post said that's not something we can allow to happen in our town. We really need to get this debt exclusion um, put forward if this, the, the recount doesn't overturn the outcome. Yeah, and again, that interesting uh, problem of being individual towns and your your the will of your voters may be one thing but you you're also bound by this regional district and the overall will of the district falls in the other direction um, and and having to deal with that uh, you know again the, if you don't like that the only answer is to get out getting out is not easy at all mm -hmm. so um, I know you also have and we won't get too into it except to, to point people towards it a, a story in this week's paper about the ongoing negotiations uh, between the union and the schools about their contract. 
they're, they're not talking about too many details. I thought it was interesting that they said they don't want to negotiate in public, but they did very, a very public, public display. It felt almost akin to a, some sort of a, an odd Christmas pageant um, where these union members who are teachers, they're nurses, they're support staff, like psychologists and um, sorry, uh, social workers, um, came to the meeting. Where there were over 100 of them. They crowded into the lobby, and they brought up, uh, as the meeting started, they filed down the center aisle and quietly left gifts at the feet of the school committee members gifts. gifts they were they were yeah they're symbolic gifts they later said that they represented the hours of unpaid work and the unreimbursed expenses that teachers were spending about $500 a year on school supplies and other things and that you know these gifts are things that they do because they love their jobs and they're devoted to their students and i think the sentiment was they really want to feel that coming back from the school committee and again they're working under uh, the previous contract really at this point they they don't have an updated contract um so so it's not like they're not getting paid or anything. Mm -hmm. It's just that they, they don't have an updated contract and the negotiations seem to have to be at an impasse from the sounds of it. Um, uh, but again, for anybody who didn't see gifts was in quotes because it was supposed to be symbolic of, of the work that they put in on top of what they uh, already do. So I encourage people to go look at your story on that um, and, and see the video that you took at the time of them coming up with these gifts. Um, and, and folks can do that at our website, capecuttimes.com. Thanks for that reporting, Kristen. That's a, a, a story that has been going on and will continue to go on. We'll probably have you back at this table in no time talking about the Dynasty Army at the Regional School District. Um, coming up uh, this weekend on uh, Sunday at this point, uh, we have a story about uh, the uh, marijuana that shops that are coming to the Cape um, eventually. There are none here at this moment. Uh, I think tomorrow in, in Wareham, on Friday in Wareham, uh, the first kind of marijuana, recreational marijuana shop opens locally. There is a uh, medical marijuana uh, facility in Mashpee that actually was temporarily closed because of some problems with some pesticides. Again, all stuff that you can see uh, reported in our in our paper and at KipCutTimes.com. But there are actually seven locations in Provincetown where they're talking about opening uh marijuana shops, medical, recreational, quite a bit for a small town. Uh, reporter Ethan Genter is going to talk to some folks about that and have a story uh, that you can check out in Sunday's paper and online. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Kristen, for being here again. I really appreciate it. Hope everybody has a happy holidays uh, coming up and uh, a safe one as well. There were some icy roads out there this morning yeah, that you were reporting on. on Route 6. So everybody should be careful with uh, that black ice that's out there. Tell your friends about it, uh, share the link, and, and feel free to reach out to us with any story tips or ideas. All of our emails are available at capecodtimes.com, where where news starts on Cape Cod. Till next week, have a good morning and good luck. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.